This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 132 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by our friends from Identity, Inc., if you need a new t-shirt design, hoodie, sweatpants, jacket, office merchandise, promotional material, you name it. Identity Inc.'s got you covered. Go to IdentityInc.com. Check them out. Great prices, outstanding customer service. Most importantly, high quality gear. You won't go wrong with them. Thank you guys, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so. Coming up on today's show, kind of pumped about this one. I have brand new ESPN.com Buffalo Bills beat reporter, Marcel Louis Jacques. He is going to be my guest today. Of course, he's replacing Mike Rodak, who covered the Bills beat for ESPN over the last six years. He's out. Marcel is in. And today is all about Buffalo Bills fans getting a chance to know Marcel a lot better to my knowledge, I know he's done a couple of radio hits here and there, but this is his first extended interview since taking the job, covering the Bills for ESPN.com, which actually starts next week on July 1st. His job starts, I should say. We talk about a lot of stuff today. Growing up in California, what he was into as a kid, going to Arizona State for college and the path that would take him ultimately from Arizona to Texas, South Carolina, Charlotte, and now Buffalo. He talks about his initial impressions of the city, a couple of people that he's had the opportunity to meet in the sports media. It's a fun interview. And like I said, a really good chance for all you guys out there listening to get to know him. He's going to do great work. He's a very good writer. And I was impressed with him as a person, man. I really, we, I, I feel like we clicked. The interview clicked well. He seems like a really cool, down-to-earth cat man, somebody that I'd love to go grab, I mean, of course, I'd love to go grab a beer with just about anybody, but Marcel seems like a real chill dude, man. I, I liked him a lot. I think you guys are going to like him as well. Also on this podcast today, we have a movie review of Child's Play, the reboot, remake, whatever you want to call it, of the 1989 classic. Chucky the Doll, of course, I'm talking about, voiced by Mark Hamill in this latest movie. The, the review, by the way, comes courtesy of our friend Sean Chandler, from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Go check that out. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Talk about that a little later on in the show. So, two very good segments on the podcast today. Really looking forward to it. And I'm not going to waste any more time here at the top. Let's just get right down to business because this is a good one. First up, 
Here's the interview with Marcel, followed immediately by a review of Child's Play. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, my guest today is the brand new Buffalo Bills beat reporter for ESPN.com. Taking over from Mike Rodak. Before that, he covered the Carolina Panthers for the majority of last season for the Charlotte Observer. He's brand new to Buffalo, quite literally. I'm talking about Marcel Louis Jacques. What's up, man? Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm sure you got a lot going on with preparation and stuff. So appreciate you taking the time. Hey, no problem, man. It's actually this is like the uh the eye of the hurricane in this couple week long moving process. Uh I don't have furniture in my apartment, so using the chance to kind of sit on the roof of my apartment garage, kind of looking out on the Charlotte skyline one more time. So, uh, no, I, I appreciate the chance to kind of take my mind off of things and uh, just have a conversation. That's cool, man. Rooftop interviews are the best. Sound isn't all that bad anyway. So I want to keep Marcel the format of this podcast relatively the same. When I have a sports media guest on, it's usually about pulling back the current a little bit and giving fans a chance to know more about you as opposed to straight sports talk of the team or the teams that you're covering. That's especially going to be the case today because for many Buffalo Bills fans out there, this is literally the first time that they're hearing from you. They don't know anything about you. So on that note, let's go all the way back to the beginning and we'll kind of work our way back up to current. Where are you from? So I'm from Sacramento, California. Um, I was actually born in the Los Angeles area, but, uh, my mom and I moved up to Sacramento when I was about four or five, and we lived up there through uh, through high school. I'm highly assuming that you were a Sacramento Kings fan growing up your hometown teen. I'll tell you what, they might not be very relevant now, but back at that, not everyone remembers this. Back at that turn of the century, the beginning, the first like seven years of, of the 2000s, they were fun, man. They were one of the best teams in the NBA and certainly one of the most entertaining to watch for sure. Oh uh, yeah, that uh, you know, it's it's uh, a beautiful sadness to talk about because man, <laughs> we're never gonna see another team like that in Sacramento, and uh, and and just the pride that that city had in in those early two thousands, Kings is is unmatched in any city I, I would think, and uh, just to be robbed like that uh, of a title by. <sighs> Like, I can't even say the referee's names, man. I, I can't do it. The, the pain is still, it's, it's too fresh. But, uh, man, that was, uh, those are, those were some great teams to watch. I tell you, in a way, those Sacramento Kings were like the old Buffalo Bills teams of the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Very good teams, but they just never quite got over the hump. You know, of course, obviously the Bills lost four straight Super Bowls. The Kings didn't make the NBA finals, but they were a contender right there every year. They just never seemed to be able to get, over that hump. So besides the Kings, what other teams were you into? I, so college, I was a, uh, I was a big USC football fan. Uh, Reggie Bush to this day, I think is the most dynamic player, non quarterback in college football history. And this is the hill I've decided to die on. I will die and sacrifice my life on it. I don't care what anybody says Reggie Bush that uh, UCLA basketball and uh, even a little Fresno State football, to be honest. Uh, my dad used to live in Fresno, and those were my first college football games ever where I uh, watching David Carr and the Bulldogs go at it. But, uh, professionally, I grew up an Oakland Raiders fan and San Francisco Giants as well. Were you an athlete? What sports did you play as a kid? 
Yeah, I was a four-sport athlete in high school, uh, football, basketball, baseball, golf, and uh, I still do some of those to this day, man. Maybe not all of them as well as I used to, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I still swing the sticks every now and then. Uh, I'll play I'll play flag football or, you know, pick up football if I see it, which reminds me, if any of y'all in the Buffalo area, you got a flag football team, you got a league. Uh, man, DM me on Twitter. I, I found my cleats. I'm trying to dust those things off and get back at it. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what, if you really want to play flag football in Buffalo, the person that you should definitely talk to is Sal Capaccio. He's the Buffalo Bills sideline reporter and beat reporter for WGR 550. He still plays, as far as I know, relatively competitively, pretty good too, man. So that's definitely the guy that you should want to talk to, One of a fellow Buffalo sports media guy. Look him up. Anyway, let me ask you this, because I like to ask all my sports media people this question when I have you on the podcast. It's just something that I'm really interested in knowing. Do you remember when you first got that bug where you thought that maybe sports journalism was something that you would pursue as a career when you became an adult, when you got older? Were you a young kid? Were you in high school? Was it college for you? Can you remember when you first got that, like I said, that bug or when that light bulb first went off in your head that this is something I may want to do in my life. Definitely. It, it was my, uh, it was my sophomore junior year in high school. And, uh, it was actually in, in Spanish class of all places. Uh, my teacher at the time, and I, I really doubt he, he would even remember this story is it, it was probably, you know, 10 plus years ago, but he said, uh, one day that, you know, he wanted to have fun with our lesson. It wouldn't be anything to do with Spanish. So he threw a, uh, he threw an old Lakers Celtics game on and played just the fourth quarter. He said, I'm going to play the fourth quarter for y'all and break you into two teams. I want all of you to write a recap of the quarter, decide amongst yourselves, which person has the best, has the group's best write up. And then those two will read it in front of the class. And the winner of those, you know, the, the the best story will earn their group no homework for the rest of the week. Hmm. And so uh, I was chosen in my group. And as soon as the other group's little champion uh, started reading her story, I knew, okay, like I want, like I got this. And, uh, you know, it just kind of made sense. Like, okay, like at the time when I, like by the time I graduated high school, I was maybe 5'10", 5'11", 160 pounds. So, you know, I'm not going off, I'm not going pro. I didn't run a 4-2, so I'm not going pro. Uh, covering these things might be the next best thing. I, I always got the paper in the morning uh, to pick out, you know, the C section and the Sacramento B, the sports section. Uh, I was always the one with the updates, the mobile text updates on my phone, breaking things to my friends. I, I, I'd fall asleep to Sports Center playing seven, six, seven, eight times, back to back to back to back. So, uh you know, it just, it all really made sense. And once I got to, once I went to visit Arizona State, that's how I knew, like, all right, this is where I can really cultivate that. You went to Arizona State for college. Why did you choose there? And were there other schools that you considered going to or that you wanted to go to? Or was it Arizona State 100% for you? No, I actually didn't. I didn't apply to, to too many schools. I got into Northern Arizona first. And then I actually got into the University of Arizona. Uh who I think offered me either a five or an $8,000 scholarship. And then uh, ASU came through with like a $40,000 scholarship. And so out of those three, I was like, okay, this is like, even if I, I, I didn't love the campus like I did, you know, it's kind of a financially an easy call. 
Sure. But uh, my dad lived in Arizona at the time. And uh, since I grew up in Sacramento, it, it, it was an opportunity to, to be closer to him, to be driving distance from him for the first time in a while. And uh, beyond that, I mean, it, it's a the journalism school is, if y'all are listening to this, man, open a new tab, type in the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. It, it's a building straight out of the future. Uh, editing bays, taking up entire floors, uh, big lobby, the First Amendment forum for guest speakers, uh, high class faculty smack in the middle of downtown across the street from the Arizona Republic, like down the street from the Suns and the Diamondbacks Arena. It was just, it, it seemed like the perfect location. And you can't beat the weather like nine months out of the year. Yeah, for sure. You know, you mentioned being a four-sport athlete in high school. You know, and athletes as kids, high school, you've dreamed, I'm sure, of becoming a professional athlete at some point in your life when you were a kid. I did. Most of us do when you play sports. That's your ultimate dream to be a professional athlete. But obviously, for the vast majority of us, that just doesn't happen. Sometimes you realize that very early on when you're just 10, 12 years old, Sometimes it's high school, sometimes it's early in college, or maybe even after college before you finally realize that it's just not going to happen for you. For people who love sports and love playing sports, who who had that dream, don't you feel like that's a really tough pill to swallow? And in some ways, it might be hard to be able to, to deal with it before you're finally able to go on and adjust and figure out that, you know, I got to do other things with my life. Like in your case, it's becoming a sports writer. Uh, it can be humbling for sure. It, it can be humbling, but uh, you know, the, the sooner you you accept that, and the sooner you come to terms with that kind of stuff, uh, the easier the easier it gets. And uh, I mean, someone who consumed sports media like I did at the time kind of could compare myself, can compare my my stats, my attributes to to some of these uh, to some of the high schoolers I was following in the recruiting trails. And it's like, no, nah, like, it's just not, it is not going to happen. But I think what you have to do and what a lot of athletes will tell you as well is like, you can't let sports define you. Right. Like you are not defined by what you can do on an athletic field. And uh, I, I think that, that helped me that I could imagine would help people moving forward, uh, especially high schoolers who are, who are, who are dealing with that. That uh, you might not get that scholarship. You might not be, you know, catching passes in Death Valley uh, for four years. Like you, you very much you might follow a, a completely different career path than you've dreamed of. But you know, dreams change, goals change. It doesn't mean you're a failure. What did you do at Arizona State, journalism-wise, that would ultimately help you prepare for what became your future career? Uh, let's see. My freshman year, I worked for the State Press, which is. Uh, or I believe Al Michaels uh, wrote for when he when he went to ASU. Oh, cool! I uh, covered girls, uh, excuse me, women's soccer and men's golf. Briefly, men's golf. Uh, my sophomore year, I hosted a thirty-minute radio sports radio segment on the Blaze Radio Network. And let's uh, see, junior year. No, 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 no. The end of sophomore year into my junior year. I interned with the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was like a production type internship. I would run the graphics on the video boards. Uh, I would uh, record the game and, and if fans called in, hey, I was on the Jumbotron, can I buy a copy? I'll, I'll do that stuff, run the replay monitor and just get to see like how 
behind the scenes at a professional sporting event, how it operates and how it really is like a, it's like a show. Mm-hmm. It's a whole production that you don't see from the stands. I also interned with AL.com down in Birmingham and, um, there it was digital operations. So not a whole lot of sports, uh, mostly monitored the website, uh, you know, work the reader engagement and whatnot, but they did, um, they liked me enough to to bring me on to cover the the last BCS national title game between Auburn and Florida State out in Pasadena. Oh, wow. And so that was that was for a while just the highlight of my 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 sports media life and being on the field for that. I am with Marcel Louis Jacques, brand new Buffalo Bills beat reporter for ESPN.com, talking to him today while he's on his rooftop still in North Carolina getting ready to travel to Buffalo. So let me ask you this, Marcel, after college, you get your feet wet, you get a job at a newspaper in a town in Arizona covering high school sports. And then in 2016, you go down to Texas and you're also covering high school sports. Now you cover the NFL, but does starting out covering high school sports, covering a beat for a high school team, how much does that help you prepare for like say the NFL right now? Were you happy to be covering high school sports at that time, or were you already longing for something much bigger? Um, you know, everybody wants to cover. Everybody wants to cover an NFL team right off the bat, or a, a big time beat. Get your get your check mark on Twitter and all this right off the bat. But I, I mean, the fact of the matter was, I just I wasn't ready for it yet, and mm-hmm. so I I appreciated my time covering high schools, especially in, in Lake Havasu, Arizona was um it was a good place to start it was one high school uh kind of one and a half the other school was um it it was like a small charter school but um it it allowed me to to learn how to interview learn how to interview coaches what questions to ask to get more than a generic answer uh how to react when uh, maybe a a kid or a player isn't so talkative how to get them going it allowed me to make mistakes in a market that I wouldn't be, you know, crucified for it. And, uh, that, that helped me a ton. And so it, it, it built, it builds character. Like I, I try to think of life as void of negative experiences. There's just character building experiences yeah. and it, it built some character. You got your first quote unquote, bigger job in 2017 when you got a gig in South Carolina with USA today, network paper covering Clemson athletics. Coming off high school beats, I'm sure that at least initially on, that task had to be a little bit daunting for you at first. Yeah, I uh, so I, I used to, I don't really, I don't do it anymore, but uh, I used to live on the sportsjournalist.com uh, jobs forum, mm-hmm. and uh, I would apply to anything that seemed appealing. Uh, part of it, you know, I don't necessarily know if I was ready to you know, ready to get a new, a new job at any particular time. But I just wanted to see what kind of interest I could gauge. Like, was I at a point where I could get essentially any high school writing job I wanted? Uh, was I, did my portfolio have enough to get a college fee? Stuff like that. And um, I actually, that summer, uh, so they, I applied and they, they interviewed me once or twice. And um, on Memorial Day, around Memorial Day was our last interview. And they told me they'd get back to me in a couple of weeks because everybody's going on vacation. Welcome, bam. And uh, in that span, in the next couple of weeks, 
I had interviewed and been denied for a job at my hometown, like small town paper, the, the Roseville Press Tribune that covered my old high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed and was rejected at the Dallas Morning News, who actually called me at work to tell me, uh, called me at work to tell me that uh, they're going in a different direction. And that was hard to, to recover from. But uh, the next morning, I get a call from from uh, Steve Rust up in up in the Greenville News asking if I was still interested. So uh, they uh, they brought me in, and you're right, it was a huge, it was a culture shock. Uh, in, in Sabine, there was another publication in town. Uh, Mike McBride was the sports guy at, at KWED, the radio station that also had a, a weekly paper. Mm-hmm. But um, in interviews, it was just me and him. And that was new. I'd never done group interviews before that. So I, I had just gotten used to that. And then I show up first day at Clemson fall camp. And the first guy I meet is like David Hale from ESPN, uh, about a dozen other outlets and 30 other reporters show up. And it was just like they brought out players in bunches. Like they brought out Christian Wilkins were in place and Dexter Lawrence and then Kelly Bryant came out and Hunter Renfro and then Dabo was in another place. I'm like, where do I go? What do I do? How do I focus? But, uh, that, uh, the feeling wore off a little bit. I calmed down a bit, but it, it, it took some getting used to it. It took me a couple of days to get used to it. You mentioned getting rejected at a couple interviews when you were trying to get a job at newspapers before. How do you handle rejections in not just your line of business? I would suppose this applies to anybody in life. You know, I've had a lot of people on this podcast who have become very successful sports media people and what they do. And it's amazing because to a man or to a woman, it's very rarely where you just go to college, you're fresh out of college and you get your dream job just like that. The road's often filled with a lot of uh, adversity and rejection along the way. You know, I'll never forget having Adam Schefter on the podcast, not just because of who he is, but because I learned a lot of lessons from listening to him and everyone thinks of him as this big, media star, which certainly he is, but it wasn't easy for him. You know, he he went to Michigan only because he got denied at the school that he wanted to go to. He got rejected at plenty of jobs before he ended up in Denver and worked there for many years before going to the NFL network. And he ended up on ESPN mainly because the NFL network wasn't interested in paying him anything close to what he was worth. So it's just a lot of rejections to handle And ultimately, of course, you know, you get to where you got to go to. It makes you better for it. But is it hard to be able to handle that rejection and be able to still maintain looking at that big picture? You know what I mean? Yeah, it happens. Failure is a part of life. And uh, you shouldn't accept it as a you shouldn't accept it as a finality, but accept that it's going to happen. It is an occurrence. And uh I try to tell everybody who, who, who asks me advice about applying for jobs and asks me, you know, what should they do with this, this, this resume and this cover letter and, and all that. It's like, look, there's a very real chance that you won't even get an email back from yeah. a lot of employers. Like I, I sent out a hundred or so job applications that got no response, but where I was meant to be eventually uh, manifested itself like it, what is meant to happen is going to happen and you have to put your faith in that and you have to believe in that and um, so you know failure it, it, it got me down a couple of times 
Um, just because, you know, if you interview for something and then they tell you, no, we don't want you, you your mind can go to a place where, okay, I'm not, I guess I'm not good enough, but really what they're telling you is you're, you're not good enough yet. There's still something that they need to see from you. So go back to, go back to work, uh, start doing, do something new, get better at something, start studying more. And, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity to improve yourself. You just said opportunity. That's one of the things I like talking about on this podcast with my guests. So in the fall of last year, you get a job covering the Carolina Panthers for the Observer. You came on to that beat after the season had already started. First and foremost, how did that opportunity come about going from covering Clemson to covering the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, it, uh, Clemson was somewhere I didn't really have a, I, I didn't have a plan to leave anytime soon. Uh, with that Trevor Lawrence at, at quarterback, man, I felt like leaving Clemson would be like leaving Tennessee when Peyton Manning was yeah, getting yeah. the real deal. But um, I personally got a, into a situation where, you know, I, I broke up with my girlfriend and uh, I didn't want to be in Greenville anymore. And, uh, you know, the day the day I accepted, OK, let's stop trying to make it work. Maybe uh, maybe it's time to move on, like get out of here. I see an opening at the Observer and uh, the big writer at the time, uh, Jordan Rodrigue, uh, she and I went to college together, really a, a, an old and a good friend of mine. And so I asked her what was, uh, you know, what was going on with the opening, if it was her leaving or her partner. And uh, she said, look, if, if this is something you're interested in, let me know. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely, you know, put in a good word for you. And the interview process was from there. It just the observer was a place I, I felt like I could I could learn a lot. I could get these, this coaching from from editors who had been there for a long time. And Charlotte is just such an awesome city to be in at uh you know, I made it a no brainer, but, uh, yeah, that, that, I think the interview process took about a month or so before, uh, they finally got me up here in, uh, I want to say week five, week six. How tough was it covering an NFL team after the season had already started? I mean, you don't have the benefit of camp, any of that stuff. I imagine that it really had to be difficult for you to be able to adapt on the fly. Oh God. Yeah. No, man. It, it, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It, it was, uh, I go from, you know, a full off season and half a season knowing, you know, anything there is to know about one team, about Clemson. And then in a matter of basically a week, uh, I'm erasing all of that and learning a new, like you said, new players, new system, new habits, new, new schedule. And, um, but Jordan was, was incredibly helpful there since she'd been doing it for three years and she she came in in a similar situation as I did so she taught me you know how to kind of manage the time a little bit and and how fast life works at the NFL level and uh the rest of that you just kind of don't have a choice it's it's like a sink or swim type moment and uh it's like I'm I'm not going to fail I'm not going to you know give them a reason to let me go so I don't have a choice but to learn how to succeed and I felt like I did I felt like I, I did learn how to how to do that, and I, and I did a good job during my time with the Observer. Well, you definitely did a good job. Now let's talk about Buffalo, okay? Mike Rodak leaving his post after six good years of covering the Bills for ESPN.com. You're taking the torch. You're taking over that beat. I'll, let, I'll use that word opportunity one more time here. How did that come about, the opportunity for you to go to ESPN from the Observer? I mean, that's a... 
I, I would imagine, obviously it was a tough thing to pass up because you're covering the bills now. How did that opportunity come about for you? Man, it's it's so funny. Uh, when you get to you get to freshman orientation, and everybody's asking each other like, "Oh, what do you? Uh, so, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Who do you want to work for?" Everybody's saying ESPN, ESPN. And uh, the further along I got, I actually started wondering like, how do how does one get a job as an ESPN reporter? How does that do they apply? I've never seen a link for it. Like, how does it work? And I, I found out one day. Uh, I got an email asking if, uh, if I was interested in a potential opening. Uh, they didn't tell me the city. They just said NFL Nation opening. And uh, I, I couldn't, I really couldn't believe it. I literally had to, I had to Google the person who emailed me his name to make sure that this was real. Like they were, they were real. This wasn't a scam. And uh, so that was just, it was an interview process over the course of a month or so. Um, I think uh, it started beginning of april and uh, i was offered the position on may 17th but uh got to fly up to bristol got to see the campus the uh the headquarters spaceship whatever you want to call it man it's it's really like there aren't any words that can describe what this thing is this experience like it is in person to to walk through that campus but uh it's just it it really is an honor i still almost can't believe it's real that uh, that I'm getting to do something that I, I, I dreamed of and I've worked towards for, for just so long. Sure, and it's one thing to cover an NFL beat. That's exciting enough, but working with ESPN, besides just doing work on the website, you'll be on TV from time to time, SportsCenter, NFL Live, shows like that, doing reports from Orchard Park or wherever you may be doing reports from. Are you looking forward to the television side of things as well? Definitely, and and it's... That's funny as well, because so many my mom you know, always tells me, my stepdad, my dad always tell me that, uh, you know, you're going to be on, I'm going to see you on TV one day. I'm, I'm going to do this and this. And I, I just thought they were just gassing me up. You know, I didn't really take it yeah. that seriously. It's just like, okay, like, what is my mom going to tell me? No, you're not going to work for ESPN. <laughs> so uh, right. I, I never really, uh, I, I just didn't think it would happen so soon. And, um, but like I, I'm, I'm just I'm honored that they would see, they see that potential and they see that in me to to give me this opportunity. But it, it's something I'm excited about, man. I, uh, I've never been on national TV before. My my tweets are showed up on on television every now and then. But uh, Max Kellerman uh, kind of gave me a shout out uh, a few months ago about the some a tweet about Saquon Barkley and Dave Gettleman I had, and um, my dad. I was texting with him and he's like, I'm. Some of my coworkers, they they saw it, uh, they saw it happen live, and they're talking to me about it, and just like hearing that, uh, seeing that pride, and, and knowing like how proud that kind of stuff makes my parents, it's uh, that's really, I think that might be the biggest motivator here. Yeah, for sure. So Mike did a really good job of covering the Buffalo Bills over the last six seasons. Part of the problem was, depending on what your perspective is is that he came over from covering the New England Patriots at ESPN.com. He's from Boston. He made no bones about growing up a New England Patriots fan. And he wasn't very positive about the Bills because, I mean, in fairness, Dave, let's face it, when he came to cover the team, they stunk. And they were not good for a long time. So anyway, Bills fans naturally consider the guy a hater. He hates the Bills, and they hated on him. They gave him a lot of shit 
during his tenure at ESPN.com, especially the first couple of years. I think over the last few, a lot of fans started to warm up to him more as they got to know his personality a little bit more, doing other media appearances, doing Tim Graham's radio show, stuff like that. You got to know Mike a little better. So I think fans eased off the gas at least a little bit. But you're not, you don't have to worry about that. You're not a New Englander. You're not a New England Patriots fan. So I don't think you're going to get that kind of reception off off the bat from Bill's fans. You've gotten to know Mike at least a little bit during this process. What what are your thoughts on him? I think he's a really, really cool dude, man. I like Mike a lot. Yeah. Hey, Mike's been an, an amazing person. Uh, for, I've started, uh, I reached out to him probably about a month ago, um, around the time I was, I was first offered the job. And I mean, this man sent me a, God, it, it's got to be a maybe four or 500 word text of uh, people I need to know, contacts in Buffalo, uh, a, a breakdown of, of the, the landscape and how, how things work up there. Uh, housing suggestions. He, when I was up there last week, he introduced me to, you know, most of the media met, uh, most of the media crew he introduced me to uh, a, a few of the bill staffers and public relations and social media staff. And it was just, uh, you know, he's been really, he's been really helping us bridge this bridge, this transition. And uh, I know, I know how, uh, how Bill's fans feel about him. Because you know, I got a whole bunch of it in my mentions as well. But um, <laughs> they're rough yeah, on him, man. He, he has gotten a bum ass rap from Bills fans. He really has. But and I tell look, you, it was worse. If you would have been taking over this job four years ago, it would have been a lot worse. Trust me. But look, to to handle that kind of that kind of backlash and that that kind of you know criticism, and, and still just keep keep powering forward and still stick to your stick to what you know and what you do. Uh, I think that speaks to his professionalism. I think it speaks to his maturity as a writer and reporter. And, uh, you know, it's, it's somebody that I'm, I'm honored to, to follow, to follow up. Uh, but uh, any, any worries, like you said, any worries of, of patriotism or, or, you know, <laughs> New Englandism. I, I, I grew up in California, man. Like I don't, I'm still a little mad about the tuck rule, to be honest. So <laughs> there's not a whole lot of love there. Uh, so aside from Mike, you mentioned that you, you came up, have you had a chance to have any conversations with any of the people that are going to be your colleagues soon covering this team? I know you did a radio hit on my man, Tim Graham's radio show last week, but have you had a chance really to, to have a conversation with anyone else yet? Or is that coming oh, soon? I feel like I've met, uh, I feel like I've met a whole bunch of people and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try, you know, it was a lot of names and faces all at once, but I, I met, uh, I met Jay. Uh, from the Skirsky. Buffalo News, yeah, Jay I, I, I met, yes, I, I met Matt Fairburn and Matt Perino. I met, um, uh, I spoke with Tim Graham. Obviously, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of the, the Bills public relations staff and social media staff as well. Uh, I met, um, I, I met Brandon Bean. Yeah. So there was just a. Like I said, there there was a lot of people at the at this golf tournament the other week, and it was just uh, it, it was not overwhelming in, in a stressful way. It was overwhelming how welcoming and how how friendly everybody was. This is a NFL. It's a society that you know you do have to earn. You got to earn your way, but sometimes you need to earn your hello. Yeah, you know, not just your inside information, your relationships. You got to earn 
the right to be acknowledged and and for them to just kind of straight out the bat you know ask a question and brandon being asking oh where are you from uh, talked a little about the kings you know asked if i was uh asked if i golfed at all i like, said i need to get back at, i need to get in the tournament next year it was just uh like i said it, it, it was so it made me feel so welcome i met uh offense court i, I met dable as well and uh he actually he left the building and then came back into or came back to the table specifically to ask if I golf, and huh. uh, and then goes and followed me on Twitter right after. It was just like, uh, I'm it, that kind of stuff just makes me excited. That kind of it, it seems like they they pride themselves on open relationships with the media, and uh, or at least a, a two way operator establishing a two way channel with the media, and uh, I can I can appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and I'll say this with. The utmost of confidence. I think that the Buffalo sports media is a very, for the most part, a close knit tight group. They get along very well. I've been very fortunate and blessed to have by this point, most of them on the podcast and to them, to a man, to a woman, they all say the same thing. And that's for the most part, like I said, they genuinely enjoy each other. So the media get along being cool with people. I guarantee that's going to be, the least of your problems with moving to Buffalo and covering the bills. I don't really want to ask you much about the bills because I feel like that would be unfair. You're just getting ready to start covering the team and you got a lot going on, getting ready to physically relocate, move stuff like that. I imagine though, when you have an opportunity to you hunkering down a little bit as much as possible, studying up on the team and things, do you feel in some ways that covering a new team like the Buffalo Bills is kind of like going back to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know I do have a um, I've got, I got a, as just an NFL fan and an NFL writer. I, I've got a you know an, an arbitrary knowledge of of the Buffalo Bills. Sure. And um, but it, it is it is you know a whole new thing to study up. It is a whole new system. It's a whole new locker room to the dynamics of which I don't quite, I don't understand just yet, but that, that stuff is exciting. Cause like, it's not, I don't really see it as a, uh, I, I don't see it as a burden or, or anything. I see it as like a, like a blessing. It, it's an opportunity. I get to do this. I, I get to hucker down at my computer and look at stats and, and, and read uh, research and, and read articles and, and so on, watch film. I get to do things that I was already going to be doing as a fan and I get to earn a living. I get to make a living right. like this. And that is, uh, that's something, you know, a lot of people really don't, don't get to say, and that's not me flexing here. That is just, it's just a fact that it's, it's hard to get here and that's not lost on me. So I, I'm a, I'm a stat nerd. I'm a research nerd anyway. But, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm excited that once I finally get my couch, you know, from my slash home office from Charlotte to uh, from Charlotte to Buffalo, man, I plan on spending a full, you know, full weekend doing nothing but, like I said, researching the things I love. Well, I would imagine that one of the players you're really looking forward to covering is the quarterback, Josh Allen. He reminds me a lot of Brett Favre. And so we're clear here, I'm not comparing Josh Allen to Brett Favre in terms of saying he's going to be the next Brett Favre his success or anything like that. So anyone out there listening, don't accuse me of that. What I mean by that is just the type of style, the way that they play football. It's just really exciting to watch, especially from a fan's perspective, because the guy 
can throw the ugliest pick six you ever saw in your life. He'll throw a five yard out that lands at someone's ankle or goes 20 yards over the guy's head. He makes a lot of, you know, poor passes like that. But then he's got such an incredible arm. He throw the ball 70 yards like it's nothing. And he's a great athlete. Last year, he made a lot of great plays with his legs. He could do things that just, that you marvel at. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like how I felt about Brett Favre, good and bad. Is this a guy that you're really looking forward to watching? Yeah, I think, uh, and he's a California guy as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to, I know he, the, those winners in Wyoming might have toughened him up a bit, but uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the Californian perspective on how to survive a Buffalo winter. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I like the I like the Favre comparison um, more than the, the Cam Newton comparison that, that people people keep asking me. I, I, I really don't, it is hard to compare somebody to, to Cam Newton. And right. they're, they're just different kind of players. Josh Allen, he was surprisingly mobile last year. He's not Cam Newton mobile. Right. He can make plays on his feet, you know, when he needs to. Cam makes those plays because he can. Like, that's, that's, they're just different kind of players. But I like the Brett Favre comparison because they, I see them both as that, with that gunslinger mentality yeah, that yeah. I've got a, I've got this, this government issued cannon attached to my right shoulder and I'm going to use it, you know, win by it, die by it. doesn't matter. This is like, I know what this thing can do. I'm going to, I'm going to, to push, I'm going to do whatever, whatever play I'm going to make, whatever plays I can to win these games. And uh, I, I don't know if his ceiling is Brett Favre or not. I think sophomore year uh, in the NFL, second year in the NFL, now that defensive coordinators have, you know, a substantial game film to prepare for, to prepare for and they know your weaknesses that second year is so critical for quarterbacks yeah because this is all about this is about your your work ethic in the off season this is about how to what steps did you take to address those weaknesses uh, how much time did you spend you know working out in the film room building chemistry with your teammates and uh this is going to tell us more about josh allen than anything he did his rookie year what's your take real quick here on Twitter and social media in general, it's a really double-edged sword, man. A lot of you, you writers, there's obviously the advantages of it. You you get to put out your content. It's instant news. It helps promote you and your brand. Those are all obvious positives as well as plus you get to interact with fans. That's always a good thing. The downside of it, the dark side of it is there's some trolls out there, man. And their only purpose in life is to get under your skin, get a reaction out of you. They'll say the nastiest things imaginable just to try to get that, you know, that, that reaction from you. How do you handle that? How do you handle the trolls? And do you typically think that you have a pretty good relationship with fans on Twitter? And are you pretty interactive? Are Bills fans going to be able to reach out to you and you'll get back to them for the most part? Sure. You know, every now and then, actually, my, um, my, my dad will, will text me and tell me, don't respond to that. Don't do this. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate it. But there's, I, I can't remember a specific time where someone has legitimately gotten he that like angry on, on Twitter. Um, every, like you said, everybody's got trolls. Uh, I've, I've had my fair share. Um, I think it's fun to respond back and I might be getting myself into trouble right now, but like I've always had, I thought that was part of my brand was, was, was the clap back. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I had a blast doing that. And, uh, you know, at, at Clemson a little bit once I got a little more established in Carolina as well. But um, ultimately, like, 
it just means people are paying attention. My people considered you important enough to take time out of their day and try to get under your skin. And like, it, so ultimately, man, like I'm going to sleep real well. My dad and, and mom and family all love me. My dog loves me. My friends do too. So it, <laughs> nothing they say is really going to get me down, especially since, you know, I, I'd be willing to bet my, my yearly salary that a lot of these people would trade me jobs. Sure. So you can get as mad as you want. Uh, I am very accessible. I, I try to uh, interact or, or reply to every single, you know, welcome to Buffalo or, uh, or something of the ilk tweet. Um, a couple weeks back, uh, I answered DMs as I, as I see them, you know, every now and then they get kicked to the request folder. Yeah. I don't check that. I don't check that terribly often, but, uh, I, I live like I, I told, uh, I said on, on Tim Graham. So uh, I'm here, I'm here for, for y'all fans. I'm talking to you guys. I, I'm here for y'all. I'm here to bridge that gap between the Buffalo bills, between your favorite team and you. So whatever you want me to cover, like, what are you, what are you interested in? I've got that access. Let me know so I can go chase it down. That's uh, that, that, that's my job. I'm not here to tell you what's important. You dictate what is important and what's worth covering. So yeah, man, you know, my Twitter account at Marcel underscore LJ. Uh, I'll be creating a Facebook page soon for those who uh, would rather get on Facebook. Uh, that's, Please reach out, man. And y'all have been, they've been so great, man. It was, um, I, I think the day that, that I said I, I was coming to Buffalo and Rodak said I was coming. Overwhelmingly I I positive. About, yeah. Yeah. I think I got like 6,000 uh, yeah. followers in a day. Like it was, uh, and everybody was just at wing recommendations. Let me know when you're in town, what areas are you looking at to live in town? Uh, I learned how, <laughs> I learned that I can't exactly post. Uh, some, I, I need to be strategic with with maybe photos I, I take. Yeah. Uh, I took one from my hotel room. And I think somebody replied like, "Oh, so you're at the higher Regency right now?" <laughs> like, Ooh, I don't know. If I like That's that. creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if I. I'm not sure if I love that. But either way, like as a date, Bills fans, man, y'all just y'all pay such close attention to your team because it means so damn much to you. Well, and, uh, I will always appreciate that. Yeah, man. And I'll tell you, for the most part, there's always a couple bad apples. For the most part, Buffalo Bills fans and just the community itself really is awesome. Before we wrap up the mini lighting round, I actually want to spend a few minutes talking about Buffalo. You've been up in the area. You've, you, I'm assuming you've found housing by now. Not going to tell you to post a picture of your house or your apartment where you're moving to, but like, what area did you settle on? Where, What part of Western New York are you going to be living in? I'll be in Allentown. And uh, okay, I, I was looking at uh, no offense to the people in the South Towns, but I, I was looking to avoid that that lake effect snow. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not waking up to eight feet of snow on the ground. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm just not doing it. it. Baby steps. I'll get used to the winter. I was going to say, uh, how much do you anticipate? The, how much do you anticipate that weather becoming a factor for you in the winter? It's going to take you some time to get used to, man. You can live in Allentown. You can live anywhere, but. You got to go up to Orchard Park. That's in the South. Yeah, I, and and being able to work where the, the snow is worse and not live where the snow is the worst, uh, I think that'll help ease the transition. But uh, like I've been saying, man, millions of people have dealt with or deal with the snow every year. I'm not special. I will get used to it. I will learn to live with it. And uh, But I'll tell you what, man, uh, 
people got one more time to tell me Buffalo is cold when I tell them where I'm moving. Like, <laughs> I know Buffalo is cold. I do my research, and uh, I, I have a pretty fundamental mm-hmm. grasp on geography. But uh, no one ever wants to say that the city is, is equipped for the snow. They are built for it. They know it happens. So they have ways of getting around it. They plow the roads. They salt the roads. Like they, that most of these, most of these apartments rent includes, you know, some sort of snow plowing. Like I, I, I understand that. Uh, this, this city understands that it's cold, and it's not like I'm living out here. It's not like Charlotte's going to get 100 inches of snow, in which I'm pretty sure they'd equate it to a nuclear winter, like state of emergency. Nobody would go outside. I, I, you know, people learn to live with it. I'll learn to live with it. You will. You'll learn to live with it for sure. What are your thoughts initially? I know you've had precious little time to have an opportunity to see anything in Western New York, but do you have any first thoughts on Western New York? Any of the people, just the sights and sounds? Have you had an opportunity to really see anything yet, or is that going to be coming soon? Uh, I got. Uh, I spent four days, three nights up there last week, and um, you know what I what I noticed about about Buffalo is there is a you know, there's not, you're not going to see the the glass plated skyscrapers like you do in some of these other cities in like Charlotte or Atlanta or, or right. New York city. Like you're not going to see the modernized, you know, futuristic looking apartment buildings and, 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 and all that. But, uh, most of, you know, most of what was there, a lot of what was there in like the 1900s, 1930s and whatnot, it's still there. And what people have done is they have taken that foundation they've taken that outside that exterior and worked the inside of it and modernized the inside of it and renovated it so that it looks a heck of a lot nicer than it does on the surface and i think it's like a metaphor for buffalo as a whole that you can't go look at that city or or look at what you see on the internet or what you see of the weather and all that and make a make a judgment i think once you get inside buffalo i mean just from the four days i spent uh it's it's a completely different city than I think perception of it painted. Are you? A- and uh, I, I think it's got character. I think it's got culture. Uh, the people have been fantastic from what I've seen and what I've experienced. So yeah, I, I'm not ready to. Uh, for anybody who hasn't been, uh, don't judge Buffalo by by how it looks, or by what you might have heard. You know, try to experience it, and I think you'd be pleasantly surprised. Are you a chicken wing guy? Of course. <laughs> have you been like have you been have people already been giving you recommendations oh man i've heard uh let's see i went to bada bing last week and uh those were very good those mm-hmm. were very good uh bartender there uh, i think the name was barry uh gave me a pretty great recommendation the the, the garlic italian i think they're called but it's like a garlic parmesan yep, yep. dry rub uh, they're just so big they're so much bigger <laughs> up there than they are down here. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, uh, I've heard uh, Duff's. I've heard Barbill. I think I'll be frequenting Barbill. Give me some Barbell. beef on whack and some rib or yep. some wings. Yep. Um, well, dude, we could do a whole. Charlie I could do a whole. Po- I could do an entire podcast with you just on chicken wing places, man. That's how how good. But if if nothing else, if you were to hate every single thing about Buffalo, which you won't, but even if you did, if you hated the weather, if you hated the people. If you hated the bars, if you hated everything in the world about Buffalo except chicken wings, you will not hate chicken wings. You, there will be no <laughs> shortage of places for you to get some good wings, and you're going to get the Duffs and Anchor Bar. Those are probably going to be the two you get the most. But 
I don't, I don't mind hating on them. They're pretty good, but there's just so many places. You mentioned Bar Bill, man. That's obviously a must-go-to. And I'm sure every media person that you get to know, they're going to tell you the exact same thing for sure. Oh, definitely, man. And who knows? There might be a uh, there might be a podcast. There might be a, a video, magazine video series involving some uh, some food and football <laughs> on the horizon. I think Buffalo would provide that. The restaurants and the, the uh, variety of food available would provide that opportunity. Last question, Marcel, then we'll wrap up with the mini lightning round. I would imagine you're really looking forward to training camp this summer coming up next month. If for no other reason, besides being your first training camp covering an NFL team, but unlike last year, when you're covering the Panthers, you're going to actually have the opportunity to be at training camp with the Buffalo Bills, getting to know the team, getting to know some of the players and stuff like that from day one of training camp. Again, as opposed to last year when you had to jump in to the Carolina Panthers season in the early part of October. Uh, yeah, that's you you hit the nail right there on the head. I I still haven't experienced. This is still my first NFL offseason and I'm I'm thrilled to to be able to see training camp up close and personal like that to get to know like a lot of these rookies uh, and, and new additions to the team from the ground floor instead of trying to manufacture a relationship midway through the season and uh i i, I really am uh I, I really am looking forward to it man especially uh I, I don't know what the what the weather is like up there at the we're up there but i, I do know it's probably going to be a little better than spartanburg south carolina where the panthers hold training camp so good luck to any Bills fan making that trip down to down to Spartanburg. It's going to be muggy. <laughs> bring a lot of water. Bring a camel pack. But uh, no, man, I, I, I can't wait. Uh, well, dude, I'm in Florida now, and my son plays high school football, so I'm at practices and games all the time. It's unbearable. You're going to Buffalo at the right time, man. It's a beautiful time of year for sure. So here's what we're going to do, bro. We're going to end mini lightning round. I do this with all my guests. I'm just going to ask you, a bunch of random questions, not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that's your answer. Kind of rapid fire style, man. You good with that? Yeah, let's run it. All right, man. Favorite all-time athlete? All-time athlete? <laughs> uh, Chris Weber. What's a nice, relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself? Uh, for myself, I like to play video games. Favorite city that you've visited? Uh, in my in my life, in your life, yep. Or your favorite city you've uh, ever been to? Uh, Panama City. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush? First celebrity crush? Oh man, uh, I think uh, Emma Watson. I was a huge uh, Harry Potter nerd. Nice. And uh, Hermione got me. Okay. What movie have you rewatched probably more than any other? Friday. Name a TV game show that you could potentially dominate, current or past game show. Current or past like if game you were show. on that show, what would you be a force to be reckoned with? What show? Uh, Guts. Nickelodeon Guts. <laughs> okay. All right, here's another one. I like this one. All right, so you're on stage at karaoke, all right? In this world, you're an awesome singer. You grab the mic. You're the best singer in the bar, and people are just going to get fired up to hear you sing. What song... Are you rocking out that's going to get the crowd on their feet singing along to you? What's your signature karaoke song in your own mind that's going to please the crowd? Oh, that gets everybody on their feet? Yeah. Oh, we're going with uh, Roses by Outkast. Okay. 
if you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity or say you gave it a run and it just wasn't going to work out for you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Um, either a, uh, either an agent, a sports agent or a lawyer. Okay. Second, last question here. We talked about Twitter earlier. Who's your single favorite Twitter follower? Like if Twitter were to send you a note and say, we got a new policy and we're taking all of the people that you follow away, except for one handle, you can only follow one handle and that's it. What would be that one must follow handle above all the others? Um, either Dragonfly Jones or uh, at Dragonfly Jones or at Larry Beyonce. Okay. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter when, any time in the history of the world. Three people at your dinner table, food, some drinks, whatever. Who you got? All right. So I will go with Tupac Shakur. Okay. I will go with Barack Obama and okay. I'll go with Colin Kaepernick. And uh, if I hadn't, you know, if I hadn't spent so much time around Eric Reed, then uh, I would throw him in there instead of maybe Obama. But I would just, uh, I would love to hear, I would love to hear the conversation between guys who are doing so much for, for our people and so much for their communities like Eric and Colin. And I would love to hear them bounce ideas off of a guy like Tupac Shakur, who was so brash, sure. but still I think had the same message. He still had the same end game of what he wanted to do for his community. So I think that would be a, uh, and even Adam Bar- Barack Obama in there, a guy who has reached the highest level of politics in this country that, uh, you know, it's just three different ways uh, of black men going about fixing the problems that face us in America. I think it would be a, a hell of a dinner. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. All right, everyone, give Marcel a follow on Twitter at Marcel underscore LJ. And of course, check out his work at ESPN.com starting next week, July 1st. Dude, thanks for doing this, man. I'm really excited to have you covering the bills for ESPN. I'm sure you're going to do a great job. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Okay, that interview was brought to you by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS like you get with Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, most of those other carriers. Not going to be the case with Pulse Cellular. They got you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk and text. Fast, premium LTE data plans, hotspot coverage, no additional costs in all 50 states and also the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. Can't go wrong, man. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There's no overage costs. Like I said, none of that BS at all. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Go on that site, check out all the plans they got going on, and you'll find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. Coming up next on this podcast, in fact, right now, is a movie review of Child's Play, a remake and reboot of the same title from about 29 years ago that scared the living shit out of just about everybody, myself included at the time. Of course, it's a story about a doll that comes to life to terrorize a family. This review comes courtesy 
of our friend Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Sean's been kind enough to let us share the audio version of some of his movie reviews from time to time. Make sure you go check him out on YouTube. Again, it's the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Dude's up to over 113,000 subscribers now. That number's growing every day for good reason, too, because he's becoming one of the biggest and the best movie critics in the entire YouTube universe. Dude continues to blow up. Had him on the podcast back on episode 92. If you want to go back in our archives, check out his interesting career path story. That was a fun interview. I really enjoyed it a lot. Anyway, go there. Go to his channel. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that little bell next to it. And on that note, is the 2019 version of Child's Play better or worse? Is it similar? Is it different? Does Mark Hamill crush it as the voice of Chucky? All those questions, plenty more, are about to be answered right now. A new movie about a toy coming to life and trying to kill people has dropped in theaters. So let's talk about it. Child's Play 2019 is a reimagining of the original Child's Play. This time, Chucky is an artificial intelligence toy whose safety features have been disabled. When his friendship with his owner and friend Andy is challenged, he's willing to kill to get his Andy back for himself. To be clear, this is a totally different version of the Child's Play story. It's probably best to go into this and view it as a new story about a killer doll than to see it as a remake of the original. With that said, let's get started talking about the good. And right off the bat, this is a good old-fashioned slasher film. It's set in modern times, it has modern aesthetics, but it's true to the things that you want out of a classic slasher film. That is to say, a bunch of people die in creative and nasty ways. Some of the kills are probably overly complex, but in a way that's true to the genre. So if you like slasher films and watching people getting taken out, you get a lot of that here. As I mentioned before, this is very much a reimagining of the child's story and the Chucky character. In the original, whereas Chucky was an actual serial killer, here he's an AI gone wrong, so the movie is actually about the friendship between Andy and Chucky. Chucky is this very innocent, childlike character who's trying to be friends with Andy but doesn't understand the way the world works and has a few bugs inside of a system that leads to some terrible consequences. But Chucky's not trying to be evil in this version, he's trying to be a good friend, and that means he doesn't understand why Andy keeps rejecting these friendly gestures that he keeps doing, and it leads to scenarios where you actually feel sympathy for Chucky. You feel bad for him, and there's moments that are really emotional as Andy feels bad about the things he has to do to try and stop Chucky inside of it. So this is a whole new dimension inside of the franchise that we haven't really seen before. Add to that, because Chucky in this version is this robot that's able to walk around and is sort of like Siri or Alexa except in a robot body, it adds a bunch of new dimensions into the story. Whereas the original one, people didn't believe Andy because he was saying his doll had come alive. 
Here, the doll is alive, and so it's a totally different dynamic in the way he's relating to other people and what they do and don't believe. Likewise, what Chucky is able to do because of his way he's able to interact with technology is very different, which creates some creative new ways for him to do things. Likewise, humans are able to track him and pay attention to him in new ways because of all of this as well. Because of the nature of Chucky in this film as this malfunctioning toy that just wants to be friends, they're able to create this interesting tension up about the way that they make him creepy. He's creepy at the beginning because he's this overzealous toy trying to be friends, but they create these lines that are repeated that mean something very different in the middle of the film, and then very different when you move into the third act of the film. It's just an interesting way to build the tension and creepiness inside of a story like this. Not that it's the most brilliant script ever written, but there's some clever and smart stuff that they're able to do with this idea about what if Siri was a robot that's a jealous homicidal friend trying to win you back. From there, you got to talk about the cast, who's actually mostly pretty good here. Aubrey Plaza is the standout as this mom who's got some pretty big faults, but she's doing her best to try and win her son over and mom the best that she can. And she brings her usual sense of humor to the mix, and she's able to have some extra dimensions inside of it and probably makes the character a little bit more likable than she would be otherwise. Also, the actor playing Andy is quite good. He can emote. He can be this lonely, introverted kid who's trying to make some friends and makes friends with this robot of his only to realize his robot friend's evil. He can play all of the appropriate dimensions. There's also like a neighbor family who are quite charming for the most part and some friends that there's some fun dynamics with all of that. And one final positive on this one, there's some really nice little Orion Easter eggs. That's the studio that put the film out. They were really big back in the 80s and there's some nice little winks for fans of 80s films inside of this one. From there, let's move on to the mixed aspects of the film. The big one that comes to mind is Mark Hamill's performance as Chucky. Now, he doesn't do anything wrong. He's perfectly serviceable for the film that we're making, but the character of Chucky himself is so larger than life in the other films that when they kind of bring it down to just kind of this AI gone wrong personality, there's not nearly as much there for Mark Hamill to work with. He doesn't do anything particularly wrong. He also doesn't do anything particularly memorable. It seems like anybody else probably could have played this performance just as well as he did, and they only cast him more so as a marketing device rather than because he had this very inspired performance. And all of this goes back to simply the fact that Brad Dorff's Chucky is so iconic this one isn't really all that iconic. It's just an interesting character because of the dynamics of all of it. And some of that goes to another mixed aspect of this film is that I think the fact that it is a child's play remake is one of the things that holds it back. They have so many new, fresh ideas of their own, but fans of the original series are gonna watch this and just see all the things that they changed. I think it stands pretty nicely on its own, but when you call it a Child's Play remake, there's a lot of things you kind of expect from it that aren't here and a lot of things that are wildly different about this film. So I think making it a remake of Child's Play holds it back a little bit. 
From there, let's move on to the negative. And the big thing that comes to mind is that this is totally pretty uneven. They establish a certain tone in the relationship between Andy and Chucky, and then they introduce some friend characters into the mix, and it feels like they're two totally different movies. The stuff with the friends gets a lot more slapstick humory, especially after the first big major kill inside the film, and there's this whole little plot line about a present for the neighbor that feels totally totally different from the stuff with Chucky himself that can kind of have a little bit of emotion to it and this is just kind of cornball humor at times. The movie probably also has a few too many ideas and subplots going on here. There's so much to explore just with the idea of friendship with Chucky and Andy and the jealousy that kind of unfolds with the neighbor and other friends inside of the mix that it starts throwing out some other ideas like in the third act it starts going a little bit bonkers with some of this stuff and there's a subplot about a boyfriend and there's a subplot about kind of the maintenance man at the apartment complex and none of these kind of other things are really fully explored they're just kind of thrown out there like some of the stuff in the third act I think they were just setting up where they're gonna go with a potential sequel but here it just seemed like they threw some ideas out there it was like well that's a pretty big idea to just kind of drop in this movie and not explore as this is a Chucky movie I was not crazy about the design of Chucky himself when they first introduced him in the first scene of the film I just, I didn't really buy it as a toy that would be marketed to the general public. Then again, when they re-released Teddy Ruxpin a couple years ago, it's just as creepy as this Chucky doll inside of this film. So maybe I'm wrong that toy companies are kind of bonkers. Then finally, I mentioned before that I think one of the biggest things holding this movie back is that it is a Child's Play remake. And the movie feels a little bit to me like maybe they had a script that wasn't a Child's Play remake. It was kind of Stranger Things It-esque with a group of friends that their toys kind of come to life and they have to battle them and then the studio heads told them to convert it into child's play that's kind of what this movie felt like either that or they had a child's play remake and the studio had say hey can you add a group of friends into it that worked really well with it or stranger things because the friends feel kind of out of place inside of the movie thematically they work with chucky's jealousy but Tonally, they just don't match the movie all around them, and it seems like there's just the wrong amount of the friends inside of this script. On its own merits, this is a fun and creepy slasher film with some gnarly kills and a few tonal issues here and there. But if you are a child's play purist, you're probably going to hate this movie. But I'm not a purist. It's a B overall. It's a 7.5 on the entertainment scale. And if you're a slasher fan, go ahead and check this one out. Just know it's not the Brad Dorf Chucky movies. It's something new and watch it on its own terms. Be sure to come back in a couple of days for my ranking of the Child's Play movies or right now, check out that playlist right over there. Thank you so much for watching and keep talking movies too much. All right. That is going to do it for another episode. Big, big thank you again to my man, Marcel Louis Jacques. Dude, how cool is that name, man? That has got to be one of the coolest names in all the sports media. like that guy a lot. That was a fun conversation. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does covering the Buffalo Bills beat for ESPN.com. Sure, he's going to do well. Thanks again, Marcel. Thanks as well to my buddy, Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Go subscribe there. Another awesome movie review. This time it was Child's Play. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. 
When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, your laptop, your iPad, your iPod, whatever the hell it is that you use to listen to your podcast within literally seconds of being released. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. You'll get the brand new episodes before anyone else does. We have new shows every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to take a quick second, rate and review the show. I say it every single episode right here at the end because it matters, man. It really helps us grow this podcast tremendously. You can find us anywhere that podcasts are found. Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. Like I said, anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Moranalytics Podcast. Hit the subscribe button there. Click that little bell so you get notifications when new content's released. Got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there, as well as some original audio content. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I always appreciate each and every single one of you. For real, man, you take... A half hour, an hour, hour and a half out of your day to listen to this show. I can't tell you how much it's appreciated. I mean it. Have a good weekend. We'll be back Tuesday with a new show. Plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.